Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. So we do agree we need Jesus now more than ever. Alrighty, so how's the world gonna get more of Jesus? Through us. Through us, there you go. We need him more and we need to be showing him more to other people. We sure do. The uh, we've been going through the uh, part on Paul and we're on our thirteenth week. I think we got fifteen or sixteen total we're gonna have. We're going through it, and uh, you remember, uh, I think it's interesting, we saw a little bit about handling critics. Anybody get criticized at all this last week? <laughs> if you didn't, you probably just didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's always a critic on every corner, and uh, you drive, you're going to have people giving you all kinds of friendly gestures and everything else, so there's, there's always critics. You know, I think uh, we've all seen in our own lifetime how we elect officials and they have similar beliefs or principles we believe and they go off to Washington and what happens with time? It's amazing how they go and they're, they deteriorate. It's amazing how many times they'll make statements they only believe in two terms and after two terms they somehow do what? They stay more and more and more and it's just amazing. I think we, you know, we would really like to see somebody who has principles and stay true. And that's what we can see in Paul. I like to think about it as we begin the book of Acts, we going on chapter 25 and 26, standing tall and staying true, as Paul did. Standing tall and staying true. Let's give you just some background on some things. First of all, what about a hearse? historical observations of just about some of our heroes. I love studying heroes and Bible characters as well as uh, men. Let's just think this, you know, kind of just give you some names, kind of think about it. You know, think about Abraham. Uh, he had to travel, go to the land, I'll show you. Did he know where he was going? You know, he had a way to face. You're going to have a son. Did he have to wait? You know, it's amazing you think about it. You go down and what about Noah? How long did it take you to build the ark? 120 years. The work of faith, according to Second Peter, he also preached. And how many people came to respond? Eight, including him and his wife and his family. That was it. The work of faith. Can you imagine the ridicule that he got? What are you doing? You're building for what? Rain? What's rain? Flood? What's a flood? You think about it, just amazing. You have David, what about the, you think about the fight of faith, going up to fight someone who nobody else would as a youth, thinking about it. You have Esther, what about the revelation of faith? I die, I die, but for such a moment as this. You have uh, Daniel, just the Daniel 6, we have nothing we can do other than his faith to bring it up. And he knew the decree, and he does what? He continues to open the window and pray three times a day. 
this practice of faith. What about Azariah, Hanani, and Michelle? What do you think about them? The walk of faith? Chapter 1, they died. Well, God can spare us, but whether he wants to or not, we're going to go into that furnace. We're not stopping. How many of us would have enough faith that we can even believe that God could keep us from being burned up? You know, you have Elijah. How many of you would challenge 850 prophets to see who was the most powerful and then say, I'm going to show you how powerful my God is. I'm going to douse that thing with water three times. Get it so soaked. You think about it. And notice in James 5, it says what? Elijah was a nature just like ours. You know, you have Gideon. You know, my family's the least, and I'm the least in my family. And he has the battle of faith. And you have 32,000 versus 135,000. God said too many. So what happens? Anybody that's afraid can do what? Now we're down to 10,000. So that means you'd have to have one first every 13 soldiers just to be even. And God says what? Too many. Now we're down to 300. God says, that's the odds I want. Why? God's glory. God's glory. You think about it, you have these few heroes, but thinking about some just general observations about these heroes that we just mentioned. There's a particular problem facing the nation or the individual in each one of them. There is a principle at stake in each one of them. There's an element of risk and one gets involved. Every one of those. Heroes don't see themselves as such in the time in which they do. You know, David wasn't going down there to get become having songs sung of him. Heroes will usually be in the minority. Caleb and Joshua, they're the minority where they're not. Heroes face opposition from within and from without. You have problems coming inside the camp and you have problems outside the camp. So think about that when we're looking at Paul when he's standing tall. He has it coming both. And Paul wasn't there to try to become a hero. Paul was simply trying to be a testimony for Jesus Christ. Standing tall is, first of all, I think we have the general observations and the historical. But, uh, one question we can ask ourselves, what challenges are we facing today? Anybody wanting you to compromise? Anybody wanting you to do different things where you're at? Uh, what would Jesus do? What would these heroes do? So think about it. One thing for Paul to stay standing tall and staying true was his perspective. We saw this before. Remember Galatians 1, he said, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Jesus Christ if I, wasn't, if I was trying to please men. And one question we have to ask ourselves, am I trying to please men or am I trying to please God? And that is a question we have to ask. The second one, if I think it's important, remember in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So how many of us are having that eternal perspective? Most of us thinking about that judgment that we're getting right now from our peers or whatever. But what's the greater judgment? Is that eternal judgment? Standing before him. And I think also, besides pleasing God, not man, in that permanent perspective, if you remember, Paul said in like 1 Corinthians 9, I press on, 
I'm in a race, and I don't want to be disqualified after I've talked about it. And why he finally gets to Second Timothy 4, and he says, I finished the course. Paul has that perspective that I am going to continue. I've done it so far, but I'm going to continue. I'm not going to quit. And a lot of times we get into life, and we've done it for a while, and we think, what? That's good enough. I'm just going to stop. But Paul wasn't that way. So I think when we look at it, these things we're looking at it is what is my perspective? We've talked about it so many times, the lying or the dying. So let's think about that perspective when we look at it with Paul's perspective. So when you look at it, look over in uh, chapter 25. If you remember the present setting, we're going to have two chapters here. We're just going to look at parts of it. But getting up to 25 is bringing you back from the past. You remember he was beaten and he was arrested and falsely accused in Jerusalem. And then he had that faithful testimony, remember, before the Sanhedrin. And then while he was going to be transported to Caesarea, remember they had an ambush. Forty men were going to ambush him. And they found out about the ambush, and they then brought him safely to Caesarea. And then Felix comes along, and you remember, and he hears him, and he gives that faithful testimony to Felix. And uh, Felix obviously was corrupt, obviously was living immorally, and he basically keeps him there for two years. How would you be feeling about this time after you've been sat there for two years? And Paul said in the text last week, it said, Paul would regularly be called to him and would give testimony to him for two whole years. And he also was hoping to get it right. So he was in, in, in uh, talking about Felix was there in charge until uh, roughly 52 AD, and then he was replaced, or 56, by Festus. The emperor was part of the time was Claudius. Claudius was the emperor, uh, which Claudius, the Roman emperor, was the first one ever outside of Rome to be emperor. And uh, he's replaced by Nero, and Nero was 31 when he comes emperor, and he's emperor from 54 to 68. So when you're writing at this time, you're talking about Nero. It's not going to be there. How would you like to appeal to Nero, which is what Paul does? So let's think about it. Here you have this frequent visits. Now Festus now takes um, the uh, Felix's place, and so Festus is now here in you think about it. So here you are. That's where you bring us to up to date uh, in verse 27 of 24. And then now we're down here to, uh, it gives a good background, you know, it's in 27. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by uh, Pontius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So you can see right away, Felix wants to do what? He wants to please the Jews. And the Jews are wanting to do what to Paul? Okay, so you can see why, how would you like to have that kind of jury? You think maybe the jury has already been kind of decided? And the person who's over it. So here we have the, so standing tall and staying true, first of all, the prize of citizenship. The plot you'll have in verse 1 to 3, and what they're asking, remember he's in Caesarea, and they're asking Festus, hey, why don't you bring him up to Jerusalem? Bring him up here and let's be, let him be tried here. And we know the whole reason is in verse 3. It says because they tried to do the ambush earlier when he was going down. We've got a new guy, so maybe he won't think about it. We're going to bring him up here. And then what are we going to do? We're going to ambush him and kill him. And you'll notice then Festus basically then says, No, I'm going to uh, Try him here in the next eight or ten days, and you guys can come down here to Caesarea, and I'll hear you. 
and you bring the accusations. So that kind of brings it up. Notice what you have. They all come down. Notice in verse 7 of 25. And after he had arrived, talking about Festus, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and bringing many and serious charges against him which they could not prove. All kinds of accusations, but you can't prove any of them. Now how would you like to be the one, you know, so here you are, obviously you can't prove anything, so what should take place? All you ought to be let loose. Notice what Paul, notice he's speaking, this is the only very, very short testimony that he gives to uh, the new one, Festus. Paul said in verse, his own defense, I've committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. I'm not guilty. But notice the problem in 9. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? So what's he want? Hey, let's go to Jerusalem. And Paul knows good and well. If I go to Jerusalem, how fair a trial am I going to get? And they were trying to ambush me the first time coming down. What's going to happen if I go back? So you can see, here you have, Jews have nothing that they can show. You'll also have, but the new leader wants to appease and please the Jews. What happened with Pilate, with Jesus? He said what in his wife? He's not guilty, but the, the Jews wanted what? You know, we, may, we may be talking about 25 years earlier, but it's still the same thing. They're given in to pressure because that's what the people want. That's the reason why Paul, in verse 10 then, pleads his case, the prize of citizenship. Paul said, I stand, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you very well know. If I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. How would I say that? Notice, but if none of these things are true, of which these men accuse me of, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he gets to go then. Let's stop and think about that. What about, we have any... Uh, great uh, benefits of being a U.S. citizen. Okay? Can you, you know, you have to have evidence. You can be tried, obviously, with evidence. You have, you know, you hear all these different uh, TV shows. You have uh, the right to be remain silent, you know, Fifth Amendment. You have the right to attorney. You have all these different things that you have. We have all these benefits as a U.S. citizen, and that's true whether we're here or abroad. We have tremendous benefits as a U.S. citizen when we're overseas as well. But how many of you ever thought about your prizes of your heavenly citizenship? Let's think of some of those prizes. I'll never leave you what? Call on me and I'll show you great mighty things which you know now. If any man lacks, lacks wisdom, let him what? How many of us ever stop and think about our citizenship of it? We have some amazing prizes of our citizenship in heaven that we can claim even to this day. We're going to get a resurrected body and all the other things. He's preparing a place for us now. I mean, that's amazing. 
So we stop and think about it. Notice, by the way, you have with Paul, was he willing to give you personal testimony anytime and anywhere? Do I know my rights and do I claim them as a citizen? We claim them as a U.S. citizen, but how many times do we not claim our citizenship in heaven like we can? I think we really need to think a lot about our citizenship in heaven and what we have. So here he has, he has the prize of citizenship, so he appeals, and he's going to. And so then notice what happens is, uh, Festus has no choice then in verse 12. Festus says, okay, you've uh, appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Alrighty, so now we have in 13 all the way through, uh, 25 all the way through 26, it's what I call a purpose-driven life. And what you have is you have a problem. King Agrippa comes down with Bernice. Now Bernice, he, uh, this is King Agrippa. If you remember, Herod the Great had three sons. He had Agrippa, he had Philip, and so on. And so you have, this is Agrippa's son. So this would be Herod Agrippa II. He then is married or has living in an uh, immoral relationship with Bernice, who's his sister. So it's rather corrupt. You notice also Felix has Drusilla, and Drusilla was originally married to somebody else, and he stole her away from his wife. So, you know, you're talking about as the world turns, it was really pretty, it was pretty wild here, too. Now, you think about it here, these people are the ones that Paul is supposed to uh, be judged by, and the Jews are wanting to follow the law. You know, it's kind of sad when you think about it. So Agrippa comes down, and Festus basically says to him, gives him the update uh, in verse 14 and so on, and he basically says, I have a Jew here who's got a lot of strong accusations, and I really don't know uh, what to do. You'll find that in verse 18. When the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him out of such crimes as I expected. They simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion, about a certain dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserts to be alive. It be a loss of how to investigate such things. I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial. But if Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to see him. So he's giving an update to Agrippa. Now Agrippa, he's going to know Jewish background and going to know Jewish things. So notice in 22, Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear him tomorrow. How would you like to be Paul? Now you're going to go for Agrippa. And what happens is then, here he comes. Notice in 23, the next day, Agrippa had come together with Bernice amid great pomp. Can you imagine all the great circumstances and the hoopla and all the, make you want to gag, you know? <laughs> and they all come forward. 24 and you notice Festus, King Agrippa, all ye gentlemen here present with us, behold this man with whom all people of Jews appealed to me. Jerusalem here loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he has committed nothing worthy of death, since he himself appealed to Caesar on the side of the city. And here's his problem. Yet I have found nothing about to write him. I don't find anything wrong with the guy. So I'm going to send him to Caesar to be tried for something that I don't know what to try him for. So Agrippa, I want you to help listen to me and tell me what am I going to send to Caesar. And that's what's going on here. So Agrippa takes his place to investigate. Notice 27, it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate what he's charged for. 
So here Paul comes again. How many times has he been given his testimony? We have another one. And how many of you would say, go play the record? You know, I'm tired of this. Uh, so here you have, notice what he does. I think it's really interesting. Here you are, you're Paul, you're now before Agrippa. And notice he doesn't say anything about Agrippa and the sin he's in or anything like that. What would, what's our tendency? When people are trying us, we often will try to do what? You're judging me, and I want about you, and then we, we get into that kind of thing. That's what he does. I think it's interesting. He comes before him. Uh, Griffin said to Paul, you're in verse 1, you're permitted to speak for yourselves. And Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things which I'm accused of by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Griffin, that I'm about to make my defense before you today. Especially since you are expert in all the customs and questions among the Jews, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. So he starts off very, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. I'd be glad to tell you about it. Why? Paul is willing to give his testimony to try to lead anyone to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He doesn't matter who they are. Festus, Felix, Agrippa, Nero, anybody. What about you and I? So notice what he does then. He's now going to basically come out and he's going to talk about his past, which obviously Agrippa would know about his past. And he's going to basically come out how he was raised, uh, like in verse 5, as a Pharisee, strictest part. He then how he goes and he starts to persecute, like in verse 10. You notice in verse 10, just as I did in Jerusalem, not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also they were being put to death. I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues to try to force them to blaspheme. And being fiercely enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. By the way, isn't that what they're doing to Paul? So Paul understands exactly what they're doing. And the whole question, the whole question on the, the debates coming up is the resurrection. Was Jesus who he claimed to be, is he resurrected or is he not? So notice he then gives you his conversion experience while he was on the way to Damascus. You'll notice here he, then in verse 14, he meets the risen Lord. And the Lord uh, tells him that he's Jesus whom he's persecuting. Obviously, he resurrected Jesus. Uh, and thus in 16, But arise, stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to anoint you to minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also the things which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Notice his purpose now, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the domain of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith. Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. They kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also Jerusalem, and then brought in all the regions of the Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and perform deeds appropriate with repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. And so, having obtained help from God, how did he get help from God? Remember, that's when the Roman centurion came to save him. It's interesting how Paul recognizes that God uses people to help see. He also saved him with the nephew, remember, that heard the report. 
And notice that it's interesting when you do this. I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said going to take place. Notice 23. That the Christ was to suffer, and by this reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim the light both to Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Pretty clear testimony, isn't it? I'm going through it. Speaking to King Agrippa, you know these things. Jesus is the resurrected Savior. He met me. That's what I'm telling everybody. He is the promised Messiah, the resurrected one. And that's what I'm on trial for. Notice then what happens, what Festus does in 24, while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said to a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Why would he say that? Romans don't believe in resurrection. So he stopped it. But what about Agrippa? Does Agrippa know about the Old Testament? Does he know about it? That's why Paul stops it. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. How would you respond to him? You know? But I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I'm persuaded that now none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Agrippa knows all these things. He's lived here. He knows all of it. He knows everything I'm telling him is true. Notice it's interesting when you think about it. Paul could, could Paul have just simply said, you know, guys, um, maybe I was wrong. No resurrection. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to leave. And he would have been done what? I think it's important when you stay true. He, he doesn't know the consequences. When he goes to Nero, what is Nero doing? I mean, Nero only lights his place up with, with Christians. I mean, he's not a, a guy you want to go to. But notice it's interesting. 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Notice he doesn't put him on the spot. <laughs> I know you do. <coughs> if that's the case, you believe the prophets. Jesus was prophesied. He's been raised and he fulfills the prophecy. So he's basically telling Agrippa what? He died on the cross for your sins. He's resurrected. No. He noticed he talked about that he was a sinner. Agrippa can easily apply it to himself, obviously with his uh, sister right next to him. And notice what he says. I think it's interesting in 28. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you'll persuade me to be a Christian. Isn't that the whole purpose of Paul doing? But how much would have responded in 29? Paul said, I would to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except the chains. Did all his accusers, weren't they there too? The ones who caused him all this pain, Paul said, I wish that they would come to a saving knowledge. I mean, that's love, folks. Paul in Romans said, what, I'd go to hell if one of my countrymen would come to know you. Even those that have caused him all this and had him in prison and beaten for this many years. And notice the, uh, was he pretty, uh, their conscience is pricked, obviously. And he gives the plain truth. Notice what happens then in 30 to 32, the conclusion. The king, 
arose and the governor and Bernice and those who are sitting with him. They drove aside. Obviously, they heard the testimony and began talking among one themselves. This man is doing nothing, anything worthy of death or in prison. Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. What would you be thinking about now if you were Paul? If they've set him free, and when you think about it, though, how many people have now heard the truth because of his imprisonment? Did Felix hear? Did Festus hear? Did Agrippa hear? Did all those others in that courtroom hear? I think it's important when we're going through different times of our life to realize God's putting us into different places so that we'll give a testimony for Him. And Paul stayed true all the way through. Do you think about it? What about the, uh, you know, you think about Paul standing tall. Did he stand tall and tell the truth every time? Notice he never hid the fact, I thought I was doing what was right, but I was wrong in persecuting and killing Christians. You know, he didn't cover up his, you know, this is what I did and it was wrong. And Christ died for me and he sent me out to tell others and that's what I'm doing. What about you and I? What would you and I do? If you got called to go before somebody like that, what would you do? How important is the perspective? Please God or please man? Lying or not? Finishing strong? And you think about, am I willing to give my personal testimony? How many of you claim your citizenship? And if you go overseas, as I'm sure that Glenn can tell you, that American citizenship is very important. And I was also, when I was over at different places, they said, if you're in a wreck, they told me as an American citizen, leave. Get leave. Get out of there. Because you're automatically guilty. Automatically guilty. Because you got money and they're coming after you. Whether you had anything to do with it, whether you were just a passenger, get out of the car and get away. It's just amazing. But what about our citizenship in heaven? How many of us are claiming that today? And how many of us are then are true to our citizenship in that? I think we are we claim our citizenship of the US a whole lot more than we do our citizenship in heaven. It should not be that way. So think about it. Did Paul stay stay uh, standing tall? Did he stay true to his purpose? He was a witness to anyone, Jew or Gentile, and it didn't make any difference. He was going to tell them the truth. That's why we can admire him. He definitely, uh, I could just imagine going before people who would just a snap of their finger, you're gone. He could have turned them over to the Jews immediately, and we know what would happen. But he was not going to not tell them. Because he didn't want to have that on his conscience when he stood before the Lord and said, Paul, why didn't you tell Agrippa? Why didn't you tell Philip? Why didn't you tell Festus? Paul, with a clear conscience, can say, I've told everyone. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 830 to 9 Sundays followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8.
Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.